0: Good morning. Merry Christmas in advance. It's great to welcome everyone in town, uh, for the holidays. Students, you're done with finals. Congratulations. Yeah, in the olden days, we had to come back from break and take finals. That was a joy. That was a dud. You know, we're closing out our series on He Shall Be Called. And we're talking about the birth of Jesus. We're talking about the names that people refer to Jesus as the fact is each one of us has a context depending on you know how you live what you're a part of you have different names that you go by growing up as a little kid I was Mike's twin brother then I got married and I was Cheryl Smith's husband. Then we had kids, and I'm Michael and Luke's dad. Then Michael got married. And then I'm Lindsay's father-in-law. And then Hunter and Paige are born. And now I'm Hunter and Paige's papa. The church, most of you call me Ron. The teens call me Pastor Ron. Which I tell them, you know, pastor is is the name for an elder. So really, it's Pastor Colin. That's Pastor Lee. That's right. But you go by a lot of different names depending on what environment you're in, whatever the scenario or situation is. It doesn't change who you are. It's a label given to a certain context about how you function in that environment. And we're going to be spending our time in Matthew chapter 2 on the topic of He shall be called. So Joseph and Mary were pledged to be married, and then all of a sudden Mary gets visitation from an angel. The angel says, you're going to be with child. The Holy Spirit's conceived in you. And so now she has to go and tell her Uh, husband Joseph and present him with the story that I'm pregnant but I've been faithful to you the child's actually from God so don't worry about it so God never leads us beyond what we can handle so he thought Joseph might need a little help so You know, an angel came to visit Joseph and in verse 20. It says, but after Joseph had considered divorcing his wife, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said to the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to his son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. It did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he'd called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for it is written in the prophets. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. Having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. There was quite a passage about the birth of Jesus. It records a conversation between an angel and Joseph. Records Joseph's response. But then not just Joseph. You have Magi from the east. You have King Herod. You have the chief priests, the teachers, all Jerusalem. Everybody has some kind of response to this baby being born. The Bible here tells us different names of what to call this child. The angel tells Joseph, he says, you are to give him the name Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. I like how the angel gets Joseph involved in the process. Joseph could have stood on the sidelines, but the angel said, no, you are the one that's going to name him savior of the world. That's your job. You know, sometimes we just pick a name because we like it. I don't know how how many of you have gone through, you know, the the roots of the word, the etymology and find out. What the name actually means, and then name your child based upon that. You know, in the Bible, there's a lot of different names. There's He Laughs. There's Deceitful One. Yeah, I don't know what your name means, but the name Jesus meant something. And a lot of times we quickly identify with that. and We go, yes, he's the one he because of Jesus, my sins are forgiven. You know what? That's only part of what it meant to be saved, savior of the people from their sins, because savior in the Bible meant much more than forgiver of sins. It meant rescuer. It meant healer. You know, I don't know about you. But when I got baptized, my sins were forgiven. But that didn't heal me from all of the pain that my sins had caused me. Other people's sins had caused me. You know, a savior does more than just forgive. That's an important part of the process. Jesus, the Savior of the people, is the healer. He delivers. He rescues. Now, one thing that we hope for, sometimes Jesus fixes our problems. Sometimes He's just with us through our problems. And sometimes, after the fact, he heals us from our problems. You see, often we want Jesus to be the one that solves everything so that every day is a good day. And what's a good day? One free from problems. There's not a one of us that prays for problems. God, I hope today... Has lots of problems. We never pray that prayer. We pray generic things like, God, help me to have a good day. You have some of your best spiritual days, has some of your worst problems. You grew the most, you healed the most, but you were in turmoil. And so we got to understand that for Jesus to be the Savior, He's the source. Of that healing. He's the one that we go to. And the angel knew it. And so the angel said. Hey dad. You got to name your son. Savior. Because he's going to deal with the effects. Of sin. And that comes to forgiveness. But it also comes to healing. It comes to rescue. Comes through. Being delivered. That's just one of the names recorded right here Jesus, the Savior. You know, then they said, Matthew quotes from the prophet and he says, Hey, this is what the prophet said the virgin will conceive, give birth to a son, and we'll call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So, Matthew. Knew his old testament, so he quotes from Isaiah. And he goes, Hey, let me let me tell you, let me share this verse. Let me make a connection. He says, He's God with us. So anybody need God with you? You ever felt alone? You see, a God far off is still powerful. But you experience a God far off very differently than a God with you. When you feel like no one cares, no one hears, maybe in my workplace, I'm the only one trying to do what's right, maybe in my family, in my neighborhood, in my classroom, my classmates, make it tough. It's hard to be a Christian hard to live a faithful life. Emmanuel is important for you at that point in time. Emmanuel is God with us. You know, the God up to this point was a God far off. It was a God who was up on Mount Sinai. It was a God that Moses told the people, you can't even touch the mountain." Because if you do, you will die. Now, there was this reverent fear, but it was kind of that where you felt just so disconnected emotionally. But with this baby, we experienced something different. And how often did Jesus repeat that message to the people, to his disciples? Maybe when they're in a storm in the boat. And they're like, don't you care if we drown? And Jesus, they wake Jesus from the nap. and He's like, you have so little faith. You know, we freak out. When we're not recognizing Jesus as God with us and Jesus just smiles at us. You know, you ever prayed like you're filling God in on the details of something that he doesn't know? And God, and then this happened, and then this person said this. And, you know, everything we pray about, God goes, I know, I was there. I was right next to you the whole time. I was I was in it with you together. And this person treated me shamefully. And he's like, yeah, I know, I was, I was with you. I was right next to you the entire time. You see, God with us. It's personal. God cares about you as an individual. You matter. God made you. So how you doing with this baby who's God with us? How's life right now for you? Is God near or is he far? You know, if you've tried to live a faithful life for any length of time, you'll realize that how he felt yesterday is not necessarily how you experience him today. You ever had that? Like yesterday, I just felt so close to God. And then today I woke up and have no idea why, but I feel distant from him. You see, every day is a new day. The question is never is God present in your life. The question is just how do you perceive it? And so we can be unaware, but he's still a That still describes who he is. You know, later in the story, as the Magi come to Jerusalem, they follow this star. This was a journey that took over a year for them to come and make. And they finally make it to Jerusalem and they're like, hey, where do we go? Where's the one who's going to be born king of the Jews? And they're like, oh, let me tell you where to go. You know why? Because this was written in the prophets. He quotes from Micah. And he says, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now, if you think about back in Second Samuel when he's talking about David and he's, he goes, I'm going to bring forth a king. He's going to rule. He's going to be after my own heart. He's referencing that. You know, the fact is, Jesus has a dual role. The first one is, is a ruler. You know what it means when you're the ruler? You make the rules. Yo, it's like being a teacher. Next slide. We're still on a manual. There you go. Students, here's a freebie. You want to do well in class? Figure out the answer that the teacher wants you to give, and then do that. See, part of being a student is to figure out your teacher. You say no. My goal in life is to speak the truth in all situations, to disagree in all scenarios. You can try that. It's not been my experience that you do very well in class. You get to know your teacher. How do they think? What are they presenting in their lectures? You know why? Because they make the grades. Got a buddy of mine. He's a professor at CSUN. Teaches uh, political science. And I was asking Phil once, I go, Phil, how much arguing about grades do you get? And he said, there is one grade that I get 100% arguing over every time. I said, let me guess, B plus. And he goes, exactly. Every single B plus I give, it gets contested. I said, I got a solution for you. Give no more B pluses. Just like widen the A minus and B. So it's like A minus to B. And he goes, yeah, I'm thinking about that. You know, when, when you get to assign the grade, that's a big deal when it's finals week, right? You know, when the grades come in the mail, or I guess we're now in the modern era, where you log into your account and you see them online, See, to be the ruler means you get to make the rules. And the Bible tells us in so many passages that Jesus defines truth. The Gospel of John, it says that we will be judged according to his word. You say, well, I'm going to define my set of rules. You can do that, but I can tell you how you're going to do. Because that's not what you're going to get graded on at the end. Why? Because you're not the ruler. Even though you think you're the ruler, Jesus is the ruler. But, you know, the fact is, okay, so if Jesus is the ruler... Then he can question how we live. And he can say in the book of Luke, why do you call me Lord, Lord and not do what I say? You see, when he's the ruler, that means he's more than just like the name only. You see, what's name only look like? Name only is when you go, oh, yeah." I love God. I'm a Christian. Oh, yeah. You know, I even go to church once in a while. Yes, I got a Bible. Now, see, when you're the ruler, you get to go deeper beyond that and go, how do you live your life? How do you treat your spouse? What's your purity like? What do you look at on the Internet? What kind of movies do you watch? How much do you drink? Are you sober? Are you greedy? You see, when you're the ruler, you get to ask the deeper questions. Why? Because you get to define truth. You know, the fact is, in the society we live in, as soon as you start thinking rules, you know, rule maker, being the boss, truth, all those kind of things, we start going you know what? I don't like that name for Jesus. I actually want, you know, little baby Jesus in the manger. He's not much of a ruler at that point. I mean, I was pretty fired up about Savior. Man, he's going to heal me. I, You know, like, you know, in Mandalorian, like Baby Yoda. Sometimes that's the Jesus that we want. You know, he's just got the force and he's cute and cuddly and... Getting a really big problem, baby Yoda, he fixes it. That, sometimes that's what we want is Jesus. And, and you start hearing ruler, we're like, eh, I don't, nah, I don't think this church is for me. You know, you don't get savior, you don't get God with us, and get to exclude ruler. But, right before you go down a bad path of how you feel about the rule maker, Say, there's a reason that they quoted this prophet, because God's people had a lot of leaders, and unfortunately, most of them were really bad. And so this passage says, no, is going to come forth a ruler who's going to shepherd. My people. You see, because a shepherd is a different kind of leader. A shepherd cares first and foremost for the flock. The shepherd leads. He guides. He feeds. He comforts. He protects. He's a companion. You see, when, when you experience that kind of shepherding, And just like David said in Psalm 23, we can quote that and say, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. You see, when you're led by that kind of shepherding, you go, I don't need anything else. Because I've got the shepherd. What more do I need beyond that? Sometimes we want shepherding. We want to bypass lordship. See, again, you can't have one without the other. That'd be like saying, no, Ron, you are definitely married to Cheryl. But nope, Michael, and Luke are not your kids. Lindsay's not your daughter-in-law. Hunter and Paige are not your grandkids. I'd be like, yes, they are. Nope, you're just married to Cheryl. You go, that didn't even make any sense. Neither does it make any sense to take one name of Jesus and try and define him only is that role. Because each one of these names is not saying this is only who he is, but it all comes together to describe who he is. He's the wonderful counselor, the everlasting Father, He's the Prince of Peace. He's God with us, He's ruler. He's a shepherd and he's the savior. Is he your shepherd? The biggest test of if he's your shepherd is found in one word. Trust. Do you trust him? You see, you don't have to trust a ruler to obey the rules. You don't have a choice, right? Because he's got the power and the authority, so he gets to make the rules. But to be your shepherd requires trust. So when you get between a rock and a hard place, is he your shepherd? When you're hurting in a relationship, do you trust? When you're discouraged, do you trust? Psalm 23 says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. It's still the valley of the shadow of death. It's still bad. There's still enemies. There's still hardship. But what's the difference maker? Because you're shepherding me through that. I will fear no evil. The difference is the trust that you have in the shepherd. So is he your shepherd? So as we get to the end of this, I got a couple of questions we're going to close out. The first one is, what will you call him? You know, the fact is, the Bible lists all different kinds of names Of this baby born in a manger. This baby that the Magi journeyed months and months and months to see. This baby that Joseph named. This baby that Mary gave birth to. That the angel talked about. That the shepherds worshipped. That Herod felt threatened by. That Jerusalem felt disturbed by. There are all kinds of names. The question for you is, what will you call him? You know, Herod said, hey, I want to worship him, too. That's what he told the Magi. He had no intention. Of truly bowing a knee to the baby that was born in Bethlehem. It was purely lip service. Joseph. Said, son, you're the savior of the world. So, what will you call him? You see, the name that you give him in word is a start, but Herod gave him the right lip service, but didn't live out the life that goes with what he said. Will you live out your name indeed? in lifestyle, in schedule, in priorities. The fact is, we call Jesus something every day when we wake up and make the decisions in our personal life. We can call Him Savior and Healer, but not rely on Him and stay hurting. We can call him Lord, but not obey him. We can call him shepherd and not trust in him in the most important decisions. We can call him Emmanuel, yet still say, I feel alone. What will you call him and how will you live? That's a question each one of us needs to answer. The challenge is to make your life uh, in line with the words of how you refer to him. And then the second question is what will you give him? You know, you read through those names God with us, Emmanuel, you know, ruler, shepherd, savior, prince of peace, everlasting father, king of kings. Lord of lords, wonderful counselor. Like you hear all those things and you go, he's amazing. You go, what's, what's fitting? Well, says they came and worshipped. And then they said, and then they opened their treasures and presented them to him. You know, that's interesting that it was described that way. Is, you know, Matthew uses that word treasures just a little bit later in his book in a different context. And he says, Do not store up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. He says, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And these these gospels don't know if you knew this, but the way a gospel would be heard would be like a professional performer, like an actor. A group would come together and they literally would recite the entire thing in one sitting and you would just be present. And so you'd hear the whole story. Presented, that's the way you heard one of the gospels. And so. It would resonate in their ear. Well, the Magi came, and when Jesus was born, they opened their treasures. But then in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus cautioned us, hey, don't store up treasures. Because where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. You see, it makes sense that if Jesus really is Savior, if he's Lord, if he's shepherd, if he's with us, if he's the Prince of Peace, the everlasting Father, the King of Kings, the wonderful counselor, what's fitting? Well you you give him your heart. Because that's where your treasure is. But if you see who he is and you go Wow, hey, that's that's really great. Jesus, you're cool. But I don't really have any intention of doing any of those things. There's one simple reason. You have a different treasure. You don't have the ability to go, oh, yeah, Jesus, you're my treasure, but I'm just not offering it to you. You say, what's what's important to you? You know what's important in a busy life? Time. Time. You know, we have some of the greatest technology ever. You know what I found? My life's become more and more and more hectic. You know what we used to do in the car when we drove somewhere? Talk. Like to each other, the people in the car. You know what you do when you go out to eat? You talk. Here's, here's a, like a little test. Go to any restaurant, anyone, and watch groups of people and see what they're doing. There's a really good chance their phone is in their hand and they're texting Or emailing or something. But they have a human, a potential human interaction like two feet away, but they're on their phone. You know, some of you were born after the uh, invention of the answering machine. You know, when I was in high school, If you called a house and they weren't home, you know what the phone did? It just rang for as long as you let it. There was no voicemail. There was no answering machine. There was no caller ID. You're like, huh. They weren't home. You couldn't see who it was before you picked up. And there was kind of a, and then the answering machine realm came in. I, I used to laugh. My, my dad never quite figured out answering machines because, you know, he'd call and he'd close, you know, hello, you've reached the home of the hammer, leave, leave your message. And so it'd be like, you know, then you'd listen to the message sent today at 2.25 p.m. So anyway, let me know what you think about that question. Give me a call back. Which basically meant as soon as the phone answered, my dad would start talking, not realizing you're supposed to wait till the answering machine would beep. OK, now we got so much communication devices, you know, the standard used to be call back within 24 hours. Now, you have people go. I, I texted you oh, like you didn't respond. You're like that was 15 minutes ago. I called you and you didn't call me back. That was an hour ago. I was in a counseling appointment. Do you realize what I would get done if I stopped whatever it was I was doing every time I got some type of communication? Plus, I'd be neurotic. You wouldn't like my sermons anyway. Time. Very few of us goes, I got so much time. I don't know how to fill my day. So, my time's not that valuable because I got so much of it. No. Time. You show you love your family? By time. You know what your kids want from you the most? Time. You know how you express your love for the baby in the manger? Time. Second thing: money, wealth. Influence, comfort, it matters. We work hard. For what reason? To get paid. Sometimes we work harder. You know why? To get paid more. Why? Because if I make a lot, then I can relax at the end when I don't have the energy to do anything with my time. Like, that did not make sense. The fact is, listen, money is not good or bad. It's just money. But it's a priority. It's a treasure. How about relationships? He so what do you do with relationships? He said, what, what does that mean? Give up my marriage? No, no, that's not what we're talking about. Let me ask it a different way. Who calls the shots in your life? The baby in a manger, or your relationships? Say who will you choose to make happy, and at what cost? You see, it's treasure. You see, the magi came, and what they do? They opened their treasures where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He's shepherd. He's Lord. He's God with us. He's the Savior. He's all these. He's not one. What's our response? And open up your treasures to him. We're going to be taking the Lord's Supper at this time. And I really pray... That through this, it's a personal time of reflection of your response to what you'll call Jesus and what your life is going to look like. How you're going to respond and what that's going to mean for your life. We're going to bow together and pray and we'll take the bread and the fruit of the vine. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are, and we thank you for the birth of your son. We know in the Bible he's called by many names, yet no matter how other people reference him, we know what matters is how we view him. We know that our response is more than words, that it's our life, and it's with our heart. He's so worthy of our worship. He's so worthy of our treasures. I pray that each one of us will have a a heart that responds in a worthy way to the King of Kings, to our Shepherd, our Savior, our Lord, and that God who is with us. Guide us and direct us at this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.